Welcome everybody and thanks for joining us. My name is Alexander Greif. I am the Customer Advisor Lead S4HANA Strategy at SAP and you're listening to the SAP Experts Podcast. First, let me ask you for a favor. Please subscribe to this podcast on the platform you're listening to it, if you haven't have yet. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. We appreciate that. And of course, put a comment on it. Tell us what you think. That's important to us. Today I'm blessed to welcome back Mr. Jeffrey Scott, CEO of America's SAP Users Group, short ASAC, who has released a new 2021 pulse check of SAP's customers, which is one of the most thorough analysis of customer situations that x-rays every relevant strategic area of digitalization and how SAP customers cope with it, like, for example, perspectives on change management, tech challenges, creating tech environments for innovation, the status of the move to SAP S4HANA, and so much more. On this episode, we discuss not only the results of the 2021 Pulse Check, but Jeff gives us his candid view on the rise with SAP offering, if it's the game changer SAP is promising, the status of the movement to the cloud, and what strategy customers and partners should concentrate on 2021+. Plus. Great to have him back on this exciting episode of the SAP Experts Podcast. Welcome, Jeff, my friend. Good to be back. It's been almost a year, hasn't it? It is exactly a year which has passed since I had the pleasure to welcome you for the first time. And to be honest, it really feels like ages. Many things have happened, but far too many things, to be honest, have not changed. And um, I've heard somebody say lately, 2021 feels a bit like 2020, but with toilet paper. And this is, <laughs> this is a different. Yeah, that was a thing this time last year, wasn't it? Uh, toilet paper. Uh, how far we progressed or regressed, depending on your point of view. Um, I think we regained our dignity in that aspect, at least. I'm not sure if we are much better in other aspects. But how was the job of the ASAC CEO in the last 12 months? Oh, what a year it's been for sure, uh, for all of us. And uh, you and I made some predictions back in April of last year that have patently turned out not to be true. So, so much for my. Let's not talk about much for for my ability to predict yeah. anything. Uh, and the timeline of all of this, if you remember back then, we we thought this timeline was radically different. But I mean, now there's a lot of hope, right? And a lot of optimism as this vaccine and these vaccines roll out throughout the world. Uh, I think that uh, we're starting to maybe come out of this pandemic phase and trying to figure out what comes next. And uh, it, it's not going to be a light switch for sure, right? We're not going to flip the light back on and everything is going to resume and go back to the way it was. I think that uh, 2019... Uh, was a great year. And then 2020 was the great reset. And then something will happen afterwards. But you know, 2020, we learned a lot as, a, as ASUG, as one of SAP's largest customer communities. We learned how to get really good at doing virtual events and bringing people together virtually. I think we all collectively learned how to get really fatigued when it comes to Zoom calls and Teams calls and Google Chats and Google Meets and all the other platforms that we use. So we learned how to really get these platforms working and they're fantastic platforms. I mean, the ability for us to do what we've been doing over the past year is just astounding to me. The good news is, is that uh, most of the SAP customer community was very resilient. They figured out how to adapt during the COVID times. They learned how to figure out how to run their plants, how to service customers, how to put new products and services out in the market. And by and large, their investment in SAP paid off. They learned that the software that they're using every day is resilient. Many of them did not have challenges with SAP. Not all, but many. Uh, their challenges lay elsewhere in a lot of other legacy applications that required people to be on-premise with on-premise technology, and they found out that that doesn't work. So a lot of our customers, our, our members had to figure out very crafty ways to innovate rapidly to be able to 
manage those applications remotely and how to service a workforce remotely. And hats off to our customer community for doing some tremendous things and reminding us that this is a technology-fueled workplace that we live in. All of this is possible only through internet connections and high-speed modems and applications that are available 24 by 7 by 365 from anywhere in the world. And what a great technology world we live in in order to be able to think about a pandemic. And I don't think any of us, including myself, are terribly happy about uh, this prolonged work from home. I'd like to get back into an office and I try to get back (laughs) once a week, um, only for the sense of just a change in scenery. Uh, And, uh, you know, like many other people, we, uh, we acquired a puppy, uh, so I just want to get away from the puppy for a little bit of time. So I think that uh, the puppy is is becoming neurotic because of my constant uh, being home and vice versa. I'm becoming neurotic because of a very demanding puppy. Uh, but, uh, you know, in many ways, uh, what a I could look on the last year and, and point to a lot of things that could have been better. But what a treasure that we're here where we are today. And I'll, I'll take that as a win. That was a long answer to your question. No, absolutely. Absolutely right with that. Because I think, of course, we, we can all be happy and, and glad and grateful to be healthy as far as we are um i think we we really learn to to cherish what we miss and um i i think i even miss my red eye flights yeah which i really hated so much <laughs> well hated yeah so much in the end but we all operate in a different mode and like customers and asac um ASAC members did. And whenever you operate or have to operate in that different mode, um, as a person or as a company, you learn that there are certain capabilities or let's call it muscles yeah, that you probably have not trained in the past, but that you need right now, that you may also be needed in the future and that you have to train now. Um, what would you say are these kinds of, let's say, new muscles or that special muscles that... Mm have to be trained now or should be trained now? What's the feedback from the members? I think that this comes down to what we traditionally refer to as soft skills. Those things that you know help us get through every day, our ability to communicate, our ability to collaborate, to rally around common goals and objectives, to demonstrate resiliency uh, in the face of adversity, to be able to push through and to, and, to, and to get up that mountain, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how out of breath you might be, the ability for you to get up those, the, those mountains is really, really important. And I think those are the soft skills that won for so many of our, our members and customers over this past year. Yeah, of course, it's about knowledge and it's about technical skill and depth and breadth. And those are the table stakes to which we are all accustomed and expect. But it's one of those other skills, the ability to help your your team members overcome adversity. I mean, so many of us experienced adversity last year in so many different ways, whether that be trying to balance work requirements and home requirements, homeschooling children, uh, taking care of loved ones and worrying and being worried sick to death about uh, members of our families and friends who may be more predisposed to a debilitating illness. Uh, How do we, you know, how do we make it through? And, you know, like, Many, you know, we lost friends, we lost loved ones uh, throughout the last year. And I think for me, it, it, really, it, it really focused back on the, the ability of the human spirit to endure and persevere through really, really demanding times. And uh, we did that on a global level and at a global scale. And I think that's really tremendous. And so that's how I think about it. It's that we were able to really get through using all these skills that we talk about, but we don't, uh, we don't really practice day in, day out. Those, those skills of communication and teamwork, which I think were fantastic and phenomenal and an absolute necessity because all, all the playbooks, to your point, Alex, got rewritten. What made sense in 2019 did not make sense in 2020. Uh, and so, you know, if you're going to rip up the playbook, what do you what do you go back and rely on? You rely on your skills and training to get through. The ASAC does something which I think is very unique and very interesting, um, which is your yearly pulse check that you do, where you basically really yeah. look into the, let's say, daily business in the life and the reality of your members and, and ask for, for um, certain things like perspectives on change management, changes, challenges, and so on. Um, you've, you've done this for years. 
um, how much different have been the last pulse checks in, let's say, contrast to the pulse checks before? I, I would tell you that the pulse check is not a surprise. It, it, it affirmed what we already kind of tangentially knew that 2020 was a year that was not dedicated to strategy. There wasn't a lot of long-term planning happening. It was about what are the immediate tactics we need to apply to get through. So we expected and saw that uh, S4 migration momentum slowed. Uh, for those that were going through an S4 transformation were already on the path, they continued for the most part. Uh, for those that were still uh, planning that transition and thinking about how to do it, they pulled back a little bit and they said, well, you know, let me put this to the side for a little bit of time and really assess where we're going to be as a business, as an organization, culturally, where are we at before we, we hit the ground running again? The good news is, is that we kind of came into 2021, we've seen that energy uh, come back really fast. And so we have been doing a, a month-long series during the month of March on S4 transformation, how to plan it, how to, how to think it through, what are the architectures you need to consider, what are the options, how do you do this? And there has been an amazing outpouring of interest and engagement in that series. And that tells me that perhaps, you know, the, the, the winter thaw is happening, uh, if I may use that analogy, that perhaps people are starting to go back and look through and think through where do we want to pick up from, where do we want to move forward, which I think is, is really, really a good news for all of us. So I think that there is a lot of energy that's now starting to be looked at to where do we go next. And based on the learnings of this past year, right, uh, many of us found out where our enterprise architectures are resilient and found out where there are still deep gaping and leaky holes. And I think one of the things that most customers have learned is that the longer that you have been on SAP and using SAP as your ERP, perhaps the more, um, you know, fragile it is. It, it's been configured to act in a certain way over the years. It's, it is a little bit more, uh, you know, difficult to change on a whim. And so thinking back and looking at strategies to move forward where you think, hey, how might we be able to do some things with this investment that allow us to be more nimble, allow us to maybe move and jog left or right when the need arises instead of being stuck in a very, you know, static way, I think are really good outcomes of what this past year has taught us as a SAP community. And knowing that in order to be resilient doesn't mean you keep everything the same. It means you figure out how to change and you figure out what levers to pull and push and figure out how these systems really need to be configured for modern day commerce. I had the honor to be part of your best practice weeks. Uh, I did a session yeah. with Steele Arbini, the CTO of S&P. And we also talked with the customer in that aspect. And what we got as feedback, and this is what was quite interesting, was that there basically are two, let's say, contradicting uh, streams in that aspect. You have, of course, the argument saying like, um, we have to slow down or we, we have to put the, like, the pause button because um, this is not the right time for us for investments. We have to slow down because we have to keep our money together. But the other, of course, argument, and this is, of course, in survey contradicting to it, was saying like, customers said, this is the time to go because we realize now how important digitalization is, how important um, these kinds of capabilities are for us to gain resilience. Um, I think many customers probably are in a certain, let's say, position where they are not sure on which part of these, can, let's say, these two sides, these Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sides, which are both sides, uh, which are part of them, um, they really should listen to. Um, do you have, do, do you see that you can understand both sides or is there, let's say, a wrong and the right way to go in that aspect? No, I think they're both absolutely right. And, and this is an area of the SAP ecosystem that garners a lot of my attention, Alex, which is the cost to make moves is really, really high. So I think one of the areas where we can all do a better job, both an ASUG perspective 
in advising and helping customers succeed and advising the partner community and advising SAP itself is the migration to standard, the migration to the cloud, the migration to you know a newer generation of technology also has to come with a price tag that is affordable and a timeline that is realizable. And one of the, the things about the SAP ecosystem, and it's not unique to SAP, we see this with some of the other large ERP players, and it makes sense because we've invested in these systems and they're a big part of our organizations. They're really at the epicenter, they're the nerve center of our organizations, is it takes a lot of energy to change them. And that energy then equates to time, and time equates to dollars. And so when we look at these investments, it takes a lot of dollars to make those changes. One of the things that I really want to rally for with the customer base is how do you manage that better? How do you break those down into into more achievable chunks of work? Uh, Do you have to go all or nothing or can you take it a piece at a time? And I think that's a place where we need to go to is being able to do these things in a more stepwise manner so that customers can take advantage of these innovations you know step by step versus having to stand up and say I have to do this all at once and I need to put together a business case of x dollars or you know x euros or whatever your currency of choice is of magnitude in order to get it approved and I think one of the challenges we see coming out of 2020 is those big scale mammoth projects are really really hard to your point to get approved. Uh, there's a lot of scrutiny. There's a lot of questions about business case, and rightfully so. The CFO and the financial community inside your organization is trying to conserve cash, is trying to make sure that we have cash to live another day. And uh, if we take that cash out and, and apply it to these projects, will it really return an investment? And so I think that's a, that's a really, really big thing. And what else you talked about a few moments ago it's also fundamentally understanding that the customer relationship in the last year has fundamentally changed. And every organization, if they didn't have proof enough, should have proof now that having a better relationship with your customers, understanding their needs and wants, figuring out how do you service them across multiple dimensions is critical to success. Think about where we all were at a year ago, right? We couldn't go out to supermarkets. We couldn't go out shopping. We, we fell back and relied on in-home delivery. Right, which ultimately, you know, changes the way that goods and services come to us. And if you are a mid-market, you know, manufacturer who only deals through, you know, uh, certain retailers or, or doesn't have a direct relationship with your customer base, now is a great time to create that. Right. And I think you need the technology and tools and wherewithal to make that happen. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that you cut out the middleman. I mean, that's up to you and your business strategies, but the ability to, to use this technology to create a voice with your customers is, is really, really important. And that's, I think, a big part of what's driving a lot of this. Since we're saying like we need now different muscles or different muscles have to be trained now or are trained now. Do you see something like a new power structure within companies concerning decisions, um, buying decisions of, let's say, IT applications and so on? Um, is it something like maybe it used to be more the IT department, now it became more strategic part. And so the CFO, for example, is now the more dominant um person to which we also should react of course to to like to talk to we should more now more talk to business instead of only it how do you see that great question we have been monitoring and tracking the use of buying committees throughout organizations for a few years now and in 2020 the pulse check uh, that you and i are discussing nearly half of all respondents uh, about 45 which i'll call half Uh, and it was the top answer, are starting to use buying committees, which they are tapping C-levels, IT staff, line of business staff, when making technology purchasing decisions. And I think that that is a reflection on who's going to be using the tools every single day and do the tools deliver the business value that you're expecting it to deliver when you put it into the hands of the line of business users. And giving them a voice to, to understand how those technologies will be used, how they'll be integrated I think is incredibly important. So it's really nice to see there be a democratization of the purchasing of technology and tools and from both sides uh, that 
the, the line of business is doing a better job of consulting with IT to make sure that when that tool is purchased, it is integrated appropriately, because it's so rare these days that we can buy a particular technology solution and treat it as an island that never has any type of integration. It should be integrated into the broader business. What does that integration look like? How well is it going to work? What are the pros and cons of it? That requires IT to help answer those questions and vice versa, making sure that the business really understands and is empowered and is actually excited about using these tools because if they aren't, they won't use them. Um, and so it requires those buying committees. And so I'm very excited to see that the preponderance of buying committees continues to accelerate and more and more organizations are leveraging them because I think that's how you really get to good decisions. And does this also lead to, let's say, different the decision have different results like for example this is now the breakthrough of the cloud or like best of breed um, is now falling behind to best of suit because of that um, do these com committees decide different well i think that the opportunity of having a committee is you can hear lots of different opinions and so you you bring a much richer set of criteria to the table and you allow people to express a voice And, and hash through these issues. And we are still seeing a lot of evidence that best of suite wins over best of breed. And obviously, you know, that makes sense because of integration challenges, of, you know, time to market. Um, but regardless of which approach customers are looking at, we are seeing integration issues continue to be at the forefront of customer minds, right? That, as I mentioned to you a few moments ago, You know, these are not silos and islands of technology solutions. They are very much integrated into a bigger whole. And if you aren't going to integrate them, then you're probably going to underserve the need of that solution. So integration is a big deal. And how you do integration is a big deal. And making sure that that integration is flexible enough to change as those tools change is really, really important. So, you know, I think the buying committees are taking all of those decision matrices into account and are thinking through very, very clear ways of how they want to do that. And I think we're seeing SAP rise to that challenge as well, Alex. Uh, the roadmap that Christian Klein and the leadership team of SAP have put together, I think, is a wonderful start into thinking through, you know, how does SAP want to be a significant, if not a predominant player in the integration market going forward and making sure that the, the ERP can be that central integration point, that it's easy to get not only get information into it, but get information out of it as well. I think that becomes really, really important. You already used a word called RISE, which I, of course, also want rise. to talk with you about. <laughs> but before we do that, um, would I would be really interested in this. Um, we have now different people buying stuff. Like if my wife would, if, if my wife decides which car we will buy, of course, a different decision comes out than when I decide this. Um, does this also- It's a buying mean, committee. It's a buying committee, exactly. Yeah. Um, and does this also mean like new technologies are ready for prime time now and they are bought differently than they used to be is it like a new let's say line of businesses um have more buying power now because of this buying committees because of this shift in buying structure um like for example that's a great um, question this is all now about let's say finance transparency or supply chain readiness and so on or is this is this uh let's say from an lob perspective not so really different than before. Well, I think buying committees certainly should be able to unlock better innovation because you have a richer set of user cases out there that should be driving the decision of what to adopt and implement. I hope that they also tend to be faster because, you know, better you check up front about the applicability of a solution than be halfway through the implementation of it and have a line of business individual go, well, wait a minute here. Um, yeah. That's not how we envision this working. And if we go down that path, it is going to create a massive amount of unwanted disruption. Uh, disruption can be two things, right? It can be wanted and unwanted. And you really want to avoid the unwanted disruption, right? Where someone says, oh, wow, uh, that is really different. And I don't think that's going to work. 
versus going, hmm, that's interesting. I think we can really do something with that, and that'll take us in a new direction. So I do believe that uh, that the buying committees create a great opportunity to think about innovation. It also brings the needs much closer to the front line, right? So in, instead of IT interpreting what a business owner might or might not want, the business owner is participating in that. And so hopefully that makes the decision process that much more real. Uh, I think it drives innovation and I think it helps to think through how these technology solutions really are going to operate in the future. And uh, I think more and more what 2020 taught us is we probably need to have a better eye towards the future of how we might want something to work than trying to accommodate how it worked in the past. So instead of fitting it to the mold that we have today, fit it to the mold that we might want in the future. And I think we learned a lot of lessons in 2020 about that future mold. What you said really fits very well, for example, to many cloud cases we had like pre-2020, yeah, which were many times running in the mode of this is a nice medicine we have here, but we still have to find uh, the fitting disease for that. Now, suddenly, um, those things have changed and SAP's approach also has changed. And we're talking about rise with SAP now. It's now two months since the announcement so this is not really 100 fresh i know that you are speaking very fond of rise with sap you had a very interesting session together with christian klein concerning that topic um based on this and two months which have um passed since now you have i think gotten a lot of feedback from customers what is your snapshot at the moment um Does Rise with SAP come at as the game changer that SAP is promising? Well, I think the game changer is here. And then the question becomes, how do you adapt to it or adopt it or integrate it into your organization, right? And the game changer is that we have a brand new generation of software that has been written for modern commerce, right? Commerce that uh, is about relationships with customers and closer, more intimate ability to talk to customers, understand their needs and wants, and provide products and solutions that not only meet, but exceed those wants and needs. So that environment is here already, right? You know, And there's lots of examples of lots of organizations that are doing a phenomenal job in the commerce uh, and being able to really capture the hearts and minds of customers. You know, Every single digital tool we have now and every single way that we interact with social media is an example of, of new commerce being put out there and creating these relationships between an individual, a family, uh, and, and the products that they use every single day. So that's changed. You talked about the cloud, right? The cloud certainly has changed the way we approach uh, these, these solutions. We no longer have to go out and procure hardware and mount it in a data center and turn it on and test it and deal with all of those issues. And I, I recall early on in my career, and I worked for one of the biggest companies in the world, and I was in a technology position. I was working on a project and uh, getting servers ordered, procured, and installed in a data center was an immense undertaking. And it wasn't measured in days. It was measured in months. And going through all the approval process and negotiating what the data center team was going to allow to be installed, what, what wasn't. And I was working on new, you know, new software deployments. So we weren't a cookie cutter. And, and this is well before I'm going back in my in my years. So please don't date me. This was well before things like VMs were popular, right? And so when I think back to those days when I was trying to get server space in a data center. When I was trying to negotiate with the system admins to get uh, you know, time on their calendars to get the servers booted up, get the images on them so we could move to the next phase of application installation, it was hard. It was hard work. And now when I look at kind of the cloud tools that we have where I can go out there and I can get a, uh, a virtual machine spun up with a few mouse clicks uh, and, and put applications on it, what an amazing way to take complexity and time and labor out of an equation and really turn it into something wonderful. So that, I mean, a huge opportunity for the cloud. So Rise to me is about making adoption of the next generation of SAP technology that much simpler for customers. Is it for every customer? Absolutely not. Should every customer be looking at it? 
absolutely they should be. And we have some great statistics. Again, you know, Alex, as you pointed out, out of the uh, the Pulse survey, 22% of SAP customers in our survey response are live on S4. That means that 70% plus still are not. Now, many of them are moving through the pipeline and going, but many of them are still, and again, we talked about the pandemic slowing some of these decisions down. So as we come out of the pandemic, and people are starting to blow the dust off of those plans that they made over a year ago and re-looking at them, well, guess what? Something's changed. And the way that you can think about SAP coming to bear and giving you both the ability to implement the next generation of software in S4 and you know, join that to a cloud provider, I, I think is something that customers should absolutely positively look at. And I am not uh, an SAP salesperson. I am not part of Scott Russell's organization who leads global sales. I'm just a guy who you know does user group stuff. And I think that uh, this Rise program warrants closer inspection by the customer base. And I, I've said this, and to your point, we did a lot of coverage of Rise when it first was announced by SAP in January. And we carried that coverage into February. We looked at the solutions in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different dimensions. And again, I'm not going to tell you go implement Rise tomorrow. I'm going to tell every single customer, go take a look at the program and make some good assumptions about whether it makes business sense for you or not. And if it if it does, go do it. If it doesn't, figure out what you need, but please go and implement the next generation of SAP software. Go implement S4. I think you will find that you will be a better organization for it. One thing I really like about it was a Rise. pretty passionate piece for me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you got my you got my blood pumping there for a few moments. Wow. No problem, no problem. It's it's always was great when we have an organization whose task also is like to poke at the stuff which does not work so much yet. Yeah, being positively affected by something because they say, yeah, this is good. And then and I also like, for example, what I like with Rise is the packaging aspect. Because in the past, um, at so many cases, um, it was from from a complexity standpoint not really possible both for the seller and for the adopter to realize like what is the best possible package for them to get the most point of capability out yeah like for example when you had you had an s4 case yeah but the customer did not get them really his point on why should i have like the technology platform it would of course make sense yeah because it's 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 it's, it's entrance point to any iot topic it's um his the much better way to to make his individualization but it was not it, the customer did not buy or the the seller did not sell it to them so this this big prospect this big question now is, is putting out of the game because we have the package um is this package right from the start um do customers in the asac see that this package is perfectly fine as it is are there things in this package where you said like hmm, maybe i do not really need it let's like um, what sap tried to put also some things which they obviously are not able to sell also in that package to like, let's say, get the numbers? Or are there maybe also things like where you say like, maybe we miss some things in this package, which really would make sense, but you obviously have not thought of yet. Mm. I, I would tell you the one thing that I think we could collectively do a better job at is there are are two basic variants of Rise with SAP. And it has nothing to do with the infrastructure side of it and, and moving to a hyperscaler. It has more to do with which flavor of S4 HANA do you want to pick. Um, and you can pick public cloud or you can pick private cloud. Uh, and private cloud is nothing more than the S4 implementations we are all so accustomed to today running running it in a cloud infrastructure. There's actually a third option or a third variant out there uh, where you can move your existing ECC uh, implementation into a hyperscaler and then make the choice about which way you want to hop. Do you want to hop to a public cloud version or a private cloud version? Um, to me, I think we as, a, as both as SAP and a customer community continue to favor private cloud over public cloud. A belief that you know the public cloud versions, for whatever reason, are not fully mature yet, or I believe that my 
business requirements, the way I operate my business are unique enough that I demand the ability to customize and mold my solution around a private cloud versus a public cloud solution. I'd like to challenge that notion and see many of us move to more of a public cloud version of SAP over a private cloud. And why I say that, Alex, is I believe that if we really want to move at the speed that we need to move at and be able to meet our customers at the speed that they want to move at, a public cloud version of SAP is a better way to go. It is a more nimble, a more flexible, a more agile approach to using modern software. And if we can find ourselves as customers in this space in order to adopt that versus talking about why are we unique and why are all the ways that we are unique, I think ultimately we're better off because the challenge that I see is we will never, ever be able to move at the speed of our customer base and the speed of customer demand if we continue to invest in unique solutions that ultimately by their own definition become less nimble, more fragile, um, more rigid in how they do things. And I, I think as we continue to move forward, there's always going to be things about our organizations that are unique to us and require and necessitate us to approach something differently than everyone else. Great. How do we pull those pieces out and treat them differently versus saying, I have to pull the whole thing out and treat it different differently, right? So I don't know. It's the best analogy is, you know, I don't need a unique toaster to make toast. Mm-hmm. I might want my toast done a certain way. Give me a dial that allows me to do that. Don't make me go buy a unique toaster or take a toaster and take it apart and reconfigure it because I want special toast. Um, that's not a really good analogy. I, I did that one on the spot. I don't think it really works. But <laughs> it's um, so much better but, than but a lot of things we hear. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I apologize for that really horrible analogy. Um, and please forgive me. No. But you know, to me, I think the area that we can be better at is 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 taking a, a harder look at at public cloud and doing more with it. And, and by the way. I'm not asking the customers to do that by themselves and, and our ASUG members to do that by themselves. I'm also asking SAP to do a better job explaining public cloud, being more forthcoming with the customer base about what it can and can't do, what the innovation cycle looks like, and really support it. And I think that even inside of SAP, if I may dare say, there is a still a belief that private cloud is better than public cloud. I don't think that the walls of Waldorf, so to speak, have necessarily said, yeah, we're all 100% in on, on public cloud. And I, I'd like to see us move that way. Um, now, I'm, I'm trying to be thinking you know, years out versus quarters out, right? And, and by doing that, I do think we as a customer community, we as an ASUG customer community or any of the other user groups will be better off for it. I absolutely agree, but this is something which is um, deep in, let's say, our behavior, our professional behavior as enterprises. Absolutely, because in in, in your private life, you are, and we all are, much more innovative and 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 free in the meantime in our decisions than we are on the business side, because that's where we are really conservative in the in the private life everybody now is leasing cars is leasing stuff and so on um in in the on the business side on the deployment wise of your of your it yeah you're very conservative you you want to shower but not you do not want to get wet that's why you think like on-prem <laughs> is still the only relevant thing you are to and i absolutely agree with you sometimes maybe even sap is doing the is 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 for that that we also make it maybe too easy not to become wet because we say like, okay we do not want to be um too um to let's say disruptive in our approaches that's why we for example offer also like the third variant of putting your ecc up to the cloud and then do that lift and shift, which is of course necessary for many large enterprises. But again, it has a backside. It opens the door to, let's say, to that um, showering without get wet analogy. Like, okay, um, let's do our ECC stuff. Let's put it onto the cloud. Then we are in the cloud. We are cloudy. We are innovative. No, you're not. Yeah, 
you have put your ECC in the cloud. This is all. You That's all you've done. That. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So moving your ECC, moving your ECC implementation to a hyperscaler is is not the full extent of what you and I are talking about here, right? Yeah. It's a step. It's a good step, but it's not mm-hmm. the ultimate step. And you know, when we talk uh, coming back to the pulse survey, Alex, uh, when we asked the top technologies that customers are hoping to implement, right? 60% said AIML, 51% said RPA, 43% said IoT. May I suggest to you and to those listening to us today that those technologies in a public cloud world will have far greater applicability, far greater business outcome, far greater success than trying to implement them in a standalone island type approach, especially when it comes to AI ML, because when it, you know, at the root of AI and ML, are massive amounts of data sets that are required in order to train the algorithms to make the decisions they need to make. And if your data sets are not diverse enough, are not wide enough, then your AI ML algorithm will not make the correct choices. And that only happens when when we're able to access lots and lots of data. And for most organizations, that data set is not sufficient with the internal data sets that they have. So again, why I think public cloud makes a ton of sense is it gives access to the stuff that we would never see when we are locked behind our own four walls. I could now ask you a very uncomforting question, and I do it, um, because oh. in, in the past, it was so easy to point at SAP and saying like, of course, you, you're not giving us the right tools or like the right technology to move to the cloud efficiently and so on. Aren't we now, based on what we discussed in the position that this needle now is turning and pointing to the adopters and saying, now, folks, it's your turn. Stop lamenting, start. Oh, no, 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 no. No, we can't. <laughs> no, no, no you're asking us to now? take accountability. Uh, you're asking the customer community. No, it's so much better to blame SAP, and it's so much more fun, Alex. <laughs> Come on, Come yeah, on. I know no, you, you, no. we expect you to continue with that. But let's talk about the needle. Where do we see this needle now, or do we have like two needles? Oh, I think we have about twelve needles. Uh, I think that um, two things need to happen. One, mm-hmm. customers, ASUG members user group members need to be much more circumspect and and much more critical about the business processes that they're running and whether those need to be unique or not, and whether they demand the level of customization that is required. And one of the things to be on the lookout for here is that the cards are stacked against you when you do this. And it is really hard to do this. One, Business processes are business processes for for a variety of reasons, and they are very difficult to change. Mm -hmm. So the internal teams will rally to the status quo versus readily embrace a different thing. Number two, I'm going to call out the partner organizations and and the the SIs for a moment and say they are also uh, in a position where, you know, customization is better because it drives hours, it drives resources, it drives technical skill, which basically drives price tag up. So the the partner community, highly customized, highly individualistic, highly inflexible solutions are a better business case than, you know, deployed as is, right? Or allowed to be, you know, um, part of a standard solution. So your business owners are are against you. The SIs and the partner community are not are not standing with you. So when you look at that and you think about those walls that you need to climb over, those are some pretty big walls. And so oftentimes it's easier just to kind of you know basically pass by and say, okay, I'll, I'll live to fight that fight another day, than it is to really do it. But I, I think in the long run, it is uh, to the detriment of the business to take those approaches. But it takes people with a lot of strength, a lot of will, and a will and a tenacity that is tested every single day and in every single meeting uh, in order to succeed and punch through. And and also, let's also be honest here, it's not as if we're talking about two or three customizations that are inside of most organizations. They number in the hundreds or the thousands. So, you know, trying to take all of that 
and move to a public cloud version is a significant cultural undertaking and not for the light of heart, right? Not for the faint of heart. And I think that's where, you know, perhaps at times the, the stat, the wave of status quo is too big. Um, and, and where we see and why we see continual perpetuation of private cloud solutions is because trying to take all that on at once is a daunting, exhausting, and largely for most leaders, an unfulfilling exercise. I absolutely agree, but I also see that SAP partners and customers alike, when they approach a topic like this, are most of the time talking about The same thing like we talked about 20 years ago, the technical stuff, that cultural yeah. things that you manage, which I mentioned, which are so important and maybe the, the most important aspect of it at all is maybe discussed 10%, 5% of the cases. The rest is not. Is this something where, let's say, we, since we are talking yeah, about it's those things, market, right? If I, I, I apologize to interrupt, but it's those things. Yeah that blow up implementations, right? It's the culture pieces that take a good implementation and turn it into a headache, not the technical. I, I think, you know, we've gotten to a point for the most part where the technology works. We can demonstrate that the technology works. So if the technology works, And yet we still are facing failed implementations. It has to come back to culture. It has to come back to status quo. It has to come back to what's familiar uh, versus what's convenient. So coming on this very, very beautiful conclusion, what mm -hmm. are, let's say, the topics and strategies, activities we all should in the whole ecosystem put our focus on for the next 12 months? Is it so wrapping wrapping up, right? Um, yeah. I, I would I would leave you with three three really important things to think about in today's dialogue. Number one is we are, you know, shaking off what has been an incredibly difficult and challenging year for every single one of us. And there is light, the spring is coming out, not only figuratively, but literally. Um, you know, we are now hopefully on the other side of a pandemic. And, and I hope, Alex, when you and I catch up a year a year from now, we are not back at this again. So number one, spring is here. So what do you want to do? Where do you want to pick up from? Where are you going to take your organizations? Two, we have learned that customer relationships are foundationally and fundamentally different post-pandemic than they were before. Expectations are foundationally and fundamentally different. And at the end of the day, our organizations live to support customers and to give customers a reason to buy our products, goods, and services. So if that relationship is changing, we need to change with it. Ergo, why a modern ERP that is based less on customization and more on common best practice solutions that you can deploy and tune and change as your customer demands change makes all the sense in the world. Short of that, you are then playing homage to your internal factions, the internal organization that you serve. And that is not in service to your customers, that's in service to your own internal goo, which ultimately will keep you away from true customer satisfaction. So those are the three things that I would take away from our chat today. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm probably a little premature when it comes to public versus private cloud implementations, but I'm okay with that um, because I'm hoping that the SAP will make the public cloud solution that much more uh, adoptable by customers. I am hoping that customers will work closely with both their user groups and SAP to make that happen. And we will end up with a much better product. Jeff. Thank you very much. Again, was an Alex, great to see you or, or talk to you. you. You know, last year, I, I promised you to invite you for a beer 
in autumn and i meant to be honest autumn 2020 i will do this again um i'm i am hoping i yeah i'm hoping that i can get on an airplane later this year i feel confident i have one of the two vaccines uh one shot out of two done i'm hoping that germany uh and europe are further ahead by the time we get to fall and i can come back over i am desperate to get back over to to germany and waldorf and check in with all of my scp friends and uh you know, say hi and celebrate where we go from here. Really looking forward. Um, Me as well. I I know that, uh, of course, everybody knows already where you are on LinkedIn. Are there any for closing up uh, special activities yeah. that deserve special mention for the next month? Well, I think that we continue to do a lot to help inspire customers and, and ASUG members to think through S4 adoption. And by the way, all the other portfolio solutions that SAP offers. And it's not just about ERP. There's a lot to talk about as it relates to commerce and as it relates to business networks and Ariba and Concur and Fieldglass and Qualtrics. And uh, as it relates to where we want to be uh, as a commerce and a digital society, there's a lot to look at there. We're supporting all of it. Your user groups are a tremendous resource for customers in order to feel Uh, the, the the power of peer-to-peer -peer connections and helping each other use the products. Uh, we continue to support all of that. I'm excited about where we are a year later. Very optimistic. Continue to be optimistic. Uh, for those who need to get a hold of me, follow me on Twitter at gscott16, uh, LinkedIn, uh, gscott16 as well, uh, or send me an email, jeff.scott at asug.com, and we will do everything we can to help you succeed with SAP. Thank you very much. Good to see you, Alex. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.